Want a better way to hire? We asked businesses across Australia. We trialled Liam through Youth Jobs Path and then hired him as a design assistant. Liam is so keen to learn. He gets along with everyone and we get help with wage and training costs. Louise gave me a go and now I've got a job. Yeah, it worked for us. To find motivated young staff and get up to $10,000 in assistance, search Youth Jobs Path. Authorised by the Australian Government Canberra, spoken by Jay Green, L Nobes and L Nicolau. Hello, you're listening to the Devils of Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. I'm Paul Colgan, I'm the publisher and editor-in-chief here at BI in Australia, and I'm here as always with David Scott, back for the first edition of the year. Hi Dave. G'day, and uh, great to be back, and uh, happy new year to all the listeners out there. Uh, we're taking a bit of a step away in this episode from some of the astonishing things that we've seen in the weeks since Donald Trump became the US president. We're going to dedicate this ep- episode to a topic that's vitally important to the outlook for the Australian economy, and that's housing. A lot of questions over the direction of the housing market this year. Um, for a long time, there's been a lot of people anticipating a slowdown. Our guest to talk about this is Pete Wargent of property agency Alan Wargent. Now, Pete is one of Australia's most prominent and I think enlightened commentators on the Australian property market. Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Uh, now, Pete's a very insightful commentator, perhaps refreshingly for somebody who's in the property business. He's happy to talk about bubbles and risks in the market. He's also a qualified chartered accountant. Uh, and before founding uh, Alan Wargent, he held various positions in industry, including at Deloitte. Uh, so the guy knows his numbers, um, and uh, he has some fascinating insight, insights uh, on, the, on the state of the market. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to the discussion. Let's start with the big picture. Let me start by asking you immediately, Pete, what do you think is going to happen this year? Well, so firstly, it's just nice to be uh, discussing with markets with Scuddy in a more formal environment. We're normally in the Clock Hotel in Surrey Hills, but it's, uh, you know, it's good to be, um, good to be here. So, yeah, look, property market 2017, I think, you know, we've still got, um, interest rates at relatively stimulatory levels. So, um, yeah, it's always hard to say how the year will kick off, but, um, you know, looking at the building approvals figures, um, there still seems to be a bit of appetite for the Sydney market. Uh, but I think the big thing to watch in Sydney this year, we've got you know, record numbers of units under construction and 2017 is the year when that starts to hit home. So that's one of the key trends to watch for me. So bubble or not? Um, I think we're getting close. I think um, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to say definitively, but if you look at some of those Western Sydney markets, um, there's some, some really amazing stuff happening out there. Um, but also, yeah, in some of those new apartment markets, um, there's some high risk. If you get down to the LGA level, um, you know, I can pick out some of them. But if you look at uh, Parramatta, Blacktown, there's a lot of stuff under construction. Um, so I think there's some pain in the post there. Uh, but, but some other places too. Wentworth Point is another place. There's just stacks of stuff coming online. And um, yeah, there's some real risk areas. Yeah. Um, Dave, just at a high level, what's your take on, on the state of the market at the moment? Very frothy and being fueled by a lower than normal stock on the market is, uh, is a good one. And obviously, we're seeing a, quite a resurgent uh, activity from investors in the marketplace as well, going off the, uh, the lending finance figures, investor credit figures we've seen from both the ABS and RBA. Um, I think affordability is uh, in terms of accessibility to the market, which is finding a, a deposit to go and actually enter the market, particularly in Sydney and to a lesser degree in Melbourne, is very, very tough and, uh, and certainly is getting worse at this point in time. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, uh, one of the, um, I think, the best 
expressions I've seen or with, in terms of as an investor or an owner uh, that you, you, you don't get into the property market, you get into a property, right? But there's an aggregate effect for how the market works over time and that's manifesting itself now where we've had this very rapid uh, house price growth over the past decade. Um, you're seeing affordability problems, which is a social issue and um, state and federal governments, uh, or at a political level, state and federal, um, we're looking at uh, just talk about what the potential policy responses um, are. And, you know, Labour is talking about tackling uh, negative gearing, maybe abolishing it. Uh, the government, uh, I think Scott Morrison described uh, it as quote-unquote crap in a, uh, in, a, uh, in a radio interview uh, today. Um, but then, you know, in Sydney, we do have this issue where the median house price is, is very, very high. Let me just go back to this thing about getting into property or, you know, you don't buy the housing market, you buy a house. Um, you know, you still can find uh, houses at a price that's not the median, obviously. It's mathematically the case. So um, not every house in Sydney costs a million bucks. Uh, I particularly had a look recently and I did find some houses a couple of kilometres outside of the CBD for under 800 grand. Um, there was a couple there that were on, on sale in Nashville for 600. That's right, the real estate agents weren't underquoting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never. Um, but look, with this, I want to take a little bit of a step back first. And Pete, maybe you can talk a little bit about what the drivers of this boom, like how we got here, what, what the drivers of this boom have been over the past decade. Yeah, I mean, if you go, well, if you're talking over a decade, I mean, you go back to the start of the mining boom. Um, that was obviously a factor which rolled into a demographic boom, if you like, or a population boom. Um, and then more recently, as we've come down the other side of the resources construction boom, particularly since 2012, we've had lower interest rates, we've had lots of interest from Asian investors, particularly from China, obviously, um, and tax settings you've already mentioned. So all of those things have kept the party going for a long time now. Um, what a lot of people are asking is, well, what could keep this level of price growth going going forward? Well, in Sydney, there's a lot of hopes being pinned on an infrastructure boom, um, you know, the connex and all this kind of thing. Um, and if you're looking maybe a decade out, um, you know, if, if this level of price growth is going to continue, for, for mine it can only really happen if we start to see home ownership rates retracing towards you know, historical averages, so back towards 50% or perhaps even lower. And I think, I mean, the data always lags massively, but I think that's already, already happening in Sydney. I mean, there's a lot of talk about you know, investors crowding out first home buyers, but what's not often said is it's one and the same thing very often. It's younger people trying to get a toehold on the ladder, on the ladder that's getting away from them and buying their first property as an investment. So, um, you know, London, we saw it happen years ago, home ownership rates just dropping. Um, and I think Sydney, it's already happening. Um, elsewhere in Australia, not quite so much, perhaps. Dave, we had the CoreLogic um, data this week showed just extraordinary growth um, over the past eight years in, in Sydney property prices in particular. Um, what, do you, what do you see when you look at you know, the rate of growth that we've seen? And maybe you can talk a little bit about just some of the astonishing data that, um, that, that keeps landing. Oh, you want to talk about the Sydney statistics straight off the bat. It was a uh, 16% uh, year on year uh, in January, the, uh, the median dwelling price. I think it took it up to 855,000. 
correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and going back to the start of 2009, so obviously that was the GFC, uh, a, lot of, a lot of fears being spread, interest rates were getting slashed. And uh, since then, Sydney median property price, so we're talking about both units and houses, has doubled, 99.4%. So um, fairly aggressive, uh, aggressive growth. And uh, Pete was spot on with what he was saying about the drivers. To me, the biggest one is, uh, is interest rates. Uh, interest rates have been slashed. It's allowed people to go and take on more mortgage debt. That's flowed into uh, the property market. People have gone and used that. Obviously, prices have risen. People are taking out more debt. As that happens, interest rates keep going lower. So let's talk about quickly about interest rates. Uh, obviously, massively important part of the whole equation here. Um, what's your outlook for rates uh, now, Pete? Um, from the Reserve Bank or from mortgage rates? From well, let's. Why don't we do both? Well, Start okay. Well, I think uh, Reserve Bank. Uh, there's clearly less appetite for lower rates than there has been. I think we've had a change of um, personnel. Um, I think you know the inflation rate's still obviously very low. Um, but I think I mean markets are suggesting that we might just see rates on hold this year. I mean that that would be my base case. I mean obviously things can change. Um, but I think there might be more appetite for letting inflation. Uh, even the, you know, the core rates of inflation stay lower than historically would have been seen as acceptable. So, um, I mean, I think maybe, um, you know, Scotty's probably going to say that rates will fall, but then he probably, he's probably not old enough to actually remember rates going the other way. So. Well, I've seen rates go up. Not that young. Uh, Dave, what do you think? Um, you know, looking at the inflation picture um, and the state of the housing market and, and what the challenge for the RBA, what do you think... Uh, um, they're likely. What's your base case for the year ahead? Oh, my base case is that rates will be in hold. Pete's right. I think that uh, the risks, in my opinion, are still to the downside rather than the upside. I certainly think uh, talking about hiking rates uh, this early is uh, is a little bit a uh, little bit aggressive. Um, to me, the labour market is going to be the key thing. Uh, if the labour market starts to falter, we've been discussing. House prices rising rapidly, mortgage debt and the like. If you start seeing that there's a deterioration in the labour market, that's the area that's funding these home loans. If that can't be funded, then there's obviously a serious issue. So uh, as much as we despise the ABS uh, unemployment data that comes out, it, uh, it is very volatile. Uh, that's going to be a, a big centre of attention this year, and I think the RBA is going to make that a big, uh, big area of focus as well. So watch the monthly uh, employment data. Um, so this does lead us to the sort of the, the bare scenario. Now it's well rehearsed. There's plenty of times that the, the story blows up every so often, um, uh, and it has been doing for years. Uh, I think it's become a little bit more intense uh, the last 12 months. People talking about that this is a, uh, you know, there's a view that this is a a, a, a very risky bubble. Um, I suppose the nature of bubbles is that. Uh, you know, there um, you, you never know that you're actually in one, um, because if uh, the market's view uh, on the whole was that it was a bubble, uh, people wouldn't be buying. So, um, and therefore it would, you know, unwind. So you, you never know that you're actually in a bubble when you're sitting in it. Um, some people say, some observers um, say that this is the case. Now. Um, that unwinding would obviously have, because there's so much um, mortgage debt in the, uh, on the balance sheets of the, um, of the big four banks, um, obviously a lot of people are, millions and millions of Australians are shareholders in those banks. Um, you know, it's systemically important uh, for the Australian economy and perhaps more so than 
uh, in many other countries. Um, Pete, you've been talking to some hedge funds recently, uh, and there certainly are some guys out there who um, have a thesis that this is a bubble that's ready to pop. What it has been? What have you been hearing uh, from from those types of guys? What kind of questions are they asking? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think when people come from overseas to Australia, they're really interested in just understanding the market because clearly in other parts of the world, it's not usual for people to be having discussions about whether they can find a house that's worth less than eight hundred thousand, even in big cities. Um, it's, a, it's unusual, um, but there is obviously an appetite in Australia for housing for various reasons, tax settings being one, it's a cultural thing. Um, but I think you know, what people coming from the outside are often looking to do is understand you know, what, what are lending standards like, what is negative gearing, how does it impact people's choices in the market. And I suppose if you're looking from the short side, I mean, I, I don't tell people uh, what they should be doing, but I assume if you were looking from the short side, you'd be looking at banks, you'd be looking at mortgage insurers, developers, materials companies. You know, when things are going great, uh, share price valuations can obviously be high. Um, you know, returns on equity very high in Australia. Um, so I guess a lot of people would be thinking, if there's if there's a speed bump in the market, is there a downside opportunity there? One of the other major factors, of course, is um, foreign buyers. We touched on this briefly earlier. Um, the government introduced some new regulations a few years ago, which probably tightened up the, you know, tightened up the registration process um, for buyers. Um, put in some minor disincentives um, to uh, for buyers in terms of taxes um, above, particularly when you get into um, properties over a million dollars. Um, but um, you know. We've just been through Chinese New Year, um, and I've heard a couple of people talking about how many people are here from, you know, to visit their family in Sydney uh, for Chinese New Year, and they're maybe from Hong Kong or from mainland China, uh, and they're looking at property, right? Um, what has your experience uh, been, and how um, significant do you think the role has been, the contribution has been in terms of fueling this 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 uh, cycle that we've been in? Yeah, I mean, I flew in from Hong Kong on Lunar New Year, so. Um, you know, I landed in Sydney on that day. Um, you know, as far as I could tell, there were more people from mainland China here than there were at, Ki at Kingsford Smith than there were over in Hong Kong. It was, uh, you know, it's a, it's a busy airport at the best of times. Um, I think if you look at the figures last year for February, there were more than 300,000 short-term arrivals, China, Taiwan, Hong Kong. Um, I think this year those numbers might straddle across January and February, but recent trends suggest, well, probably more um, so look, there's big numbers of people here, um, there's, there's a big Chinese population in Australia anyway. Um, I think you know, it clearly is a factor in our markets, regardless of whether people say it is or not. I mean, it is a factor. What do you think, Dave? Definitely a factor. I remember having a discussion with you at the, uh, with Pete at the clock, um, <laughs> and I was telling an anecdotal story about uh, when I was down in Tasmania. And I've been down there a couple of times, and I think the last time I was down there was to go watch the cricket test versus the Windies, which we won't get into, was a very short test match. Um, but the thing that struck me was from the time that I was there about 12 months earlier to then just 12 months later, there were so many more Chinese who were there. And the hotel staying out, Chinese were there, uh, all booked out, all the places were booked out. And I don't find it unsurprising now that you look at some of the data that's coming out of Tasmania and tourism numbers are going up, house prices there are starting to go up as well. 
And so you put that together, you see people have seen these areas. Now, I'm not sure how many of our listeners have been to mainland China, but uh, it can be very, the environment there, uh, day-to-day living is nowhere near as good a standard as what we have here in Australia. And yeah, people can come down and have a look at uh, what's going on in Australia, in Sydney, in Melbourne, Tasmania. And of course, it's going to be a massive uh, no, incentive to go and, uh, and change lifestyle. Uh, I see around my area, and, uh, around sort of Waterloo in Sydney, there's, uh, there's massive appetite. Uh, all the construction that's going up at the moment uh, around Green Square and the like, so much of that has been pre-sold to Chinese investors. Yeah. So it, it, to say that uh, they haven't had an impact, they've had a huge impact. And I imagine, David, it's the same when you're up at your uh, luxurious holiday home at, <laughs> uh, at Burley. There's, um, you've seen at the Gold Coast, there are coach loads of Chinese investors. The hotels, you know, every day there's a, a new coach load. Yeah. Um, you know, people say, are they here looking at property specifically? Well, maybe not. They're not here on holiday. But look, there's Chinese capital coming into Australia. Um, there's no question about that. So I think there's, there's two issues here. One is the sheer size of China means that not very much needs to happen uh, for the uh, maths to change here. Um, you know, um, size of these uh, uh, Chinese cities, also the size of the middle class that's emerged um, in, in China. I think one of my, one of my favorite stats is I think by 2050, the Chinese middle class will be the size of the entire population of the United States. Um, so it's huge. Uh, it's growing very, very rapidly. Um, and, you know, I think we talk about a million Chinese visitors, short-term visitors to, to yeah, Australia now. Um, yeah. Um, and that has come very, very quickly uh, over the last few years. Um, but that's still just a fraction of their overall uh, tourist departures. Um, so, you know, there's still potentially a lot of tourism uh, and sort of visitation growth there, it's the kind of thing to come down, have a look at you know, the quality of life, um, the ease of getting around, uh, and they, you know, they see a house that might be a million dollars, and you know, to be honest, to somebody who's quite a wealthy Chinese business person, that maybe isn't all that much. So um, I think that's one factor, just that size of um, China. I think there's this other interesting thing, this other interesting theory, which has been about, you know, the, in the last uh, 12, 18 months, Chinese uh, currency has been gently sort of um, devaluing. Maybe a little bit of concern that if you keep your money in China, it's not going to be worth as much over time. Um, do you think that might be a bit of a factor, Dave? Oh, it's an undeniable factor which has been leading to, uh, to capital outflows. And you've seen the response, and this is a, a big risk for a lot of those uh, units have been under construction at the moment who have got a down payment on them but need to go and settle. Uh, the Chinese government has gone and introduced laws or new, new rules at the other uh, start of this year to go and uh, and basically vet all transfers that go out of China within the same sort of size and above that you would be paying for a property in Australia. And they've spe- uh, specifically said that they don't want foreign property ownership mm. to go and use these funds. What are the funds being used for to go and purchase a property? No. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's. I think you'd be naive to think that uh, no, there'll be exceptions to the rule in China. There will be. People will still be able to get their money out of it. But that's what they've put in place. So with all these construction going on at the moment, that's a clear risk for the Australian property market as well. Um, Pete, has your firm uh, had a lot of interest from um, Chinese clients or potential clients? Yeah, I think if you... I mean, there's 
there's different parts of that market, really. If you, a lot of the, the Chinese that buy new properties often, uh, you know, some of the big developers, we won't name names, but you know who they are, they, they're very good at marketing direct to mainland China. Not so much need for property advisory or buyer's agents um, because th those developers do what they do very well. They have rental guarantees, they're very, you know, schmick advertising. Um, but I mean, we still do get a lot of um, inquiries from people wanting to buy established property, but they're usually people with Australian citizenship. So, um, yeah, and obviously a lot of expats in Hong Kong, Singapore, these kind of places as well. Mm. There was, um, I saw recently, I'm just going to talk a little bit about Sydney, but I, um, I was up at, you know, uh, Centre Point Tower, that, the tallest building in Sydney, it has a little buffet lunch that you could do up there for like 75 bucks um, and a uh, friend's birthday uh, was up there a few weeks ago and you get these amazing views around the city because the, the restaurant at the top of it rotates and you get to see all of it. Now I was up there and you're having a look out and it's you know Sydney is beautiful the harbour is sparkling but then you look down all the way along the coastline and there are thousands and thousands of dwellings with amazing harbour views um, and you know it's out towards you know Bellevue Hill, Rose Bay, um, all of these places and then on the North Shore uh, you know Neutral Bay and all the way through Mosman and out to, out to Manly and these you know are incredibly desirable properties um, you know and there are not that many of them so when you roll up the fact that there's just hard fact limited supply of these, um, of these, these kind of houses and you just layer on top of that the you know you don't need you don't need a million people wanting the, um, those kind of properties you need a few thousand a year um, to be competing for those kind of properties to keep um, underpinning uh, underpinning prices um, so play the tape to the end here for me Pete do you, do you see values in those particularly those high end houses um, being at risk, particularly when we've got this interest from overseas um, and, and maybe currency here that's um, uh, heading slowly lower over the next over the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think if you look at those markets historically, they're thin markets. The premium markets it's much thinner, so it's more volatile over the cycle. I mean, your long-term result in that type of property is always good because, you know, there's a, as you said, there's a limited amount of land. That, you know, Borclues, Watson's Bay, those kind of areas. Um, I don't think you're going to lose out too much over the long term, um, but there are fewer buyers in those markets. So you do find, you know, rental yields are almost non-existent, they're so low, uh, and they're, they're volatile markets. So, yeah, if you get the timing wrong and you've got a short time horizon, then you can lose money in those markets. Not to mention that the stamp duty is astronomical in Australia these days, so um, there are the transaction costs to factor in, but yeah, there is a limited supply of that type of dwelling and um, yeah, lots of interest in it. So broader Sydney then, um, we'll look at a few of the cities maybe, um, broader Sydney outlook, um, what do you think is going to happen, you know, you're talking about Western Sydney, some parts of it going, you know, house prices going extremely well. Yeah, I think sometimes you lose some of this in the median data for a, for a city. I mean, if you go out to, let's name some suburbs, Mount Druitt, Rudy Hill, St Mary's. You know, we've, if you look at like-for-like like sales in some of those suburbs, we've seen prices uh, compounding at 15 18% for, for five years. I mean, 
you know, if you think about that logically, you've got some of the finest investment minds in the planet that can't make those returns, and, and yet fibro shacks are doing it on leveraged bets. Um, you know, when you start seeing things like that, you're thinking, well, okay, this isn't going to last. So, um, and that's the sort of thing that US hedge funds and hedge funds from Singapore and Hong Kong and these kind of areas, they're coming over and they're looking at that and saying, okay, well, what's this telling us about the wider market? Now, <coughs> with a bit of a local insight, you can see the things that have driven that. Um, people desperate to get a foothold on a rising property market. You've got investors who need some kind of rental return, so the yields are obviously much, or typically have been much higher out west. Um, but prices have been bid. I mean, we saw a sale the other day in Mount Druitt for one and a quarter million dollars, and um, you know, we've seen stuff going over a million. It's just um, that is not sustainable. What's the trigger for the downturn? Rising interest rates. If that ever happens, uh, incomes are not high in those locations, and yeah, that's that's a high risk market for mine. Yeah, um, Dave, can you talk maybe a little bit about the scale of the risk here? Um, you know, if, it, if that kind of thing was to unwind, talk about, you know, the kinds of things that it would affect different sectors um, and maybe um, people's investments, etc. When you say, like, you're referring to, like, a cataclysmic drop in house prices in Western Sydney? Let's say a medium scale 10% uh, fall. If that was abrupt, then I would say that we're in real strife. Real strife. About 10%. Yes. Pete's mentioned the degree of leverage, household income growth is very, uh, very poor, uh, underemployment is very high. You put it together and uh, in what is generally an illiquid market, it's not like an Australian dollar, uh, you can just go and tap out or something like that. It's, uh, you've got to find somebody going uh, and, and put a bid in and if no one's there, then you've, saw, you've seen what's happened countless times in the past, particularly around the GSC. Uh, there are certain aspects and certain parts of the other uh, market. I'm not saying the entire market would suffer. There, there would be probably widespread uh, declines, but no, there'd be certain areas that you would know would be more risk and high density areas uh, in particular, in areas where uh, employment growth and opportunities may not be so strong and the like would be the ones that would probably suffer. And of course, this whole um, property sector, I suppose, particularly after the mining boom, the, the um, increase in approvals. So you had all of these um, towers getting built. Um, so you had all this supply coming on, but the other thing that that did was create an awful lot of jobs. So people who were up in the Pilbara before working on mines or up in uh, uh, central Queensland, or even in the Hunter Valley, uh, where they were mining coal until some of them uh, started uh, reopening lately because coal, coal prices have been going bananas. Um, but you had all these jobs that uh, sort of got created um, and you know, incredibly low um, uh, unemployment rates um, around uh, Sydney in particular, but also um, low unemployment uh, in Melbourne uh, as a result of this because there's just lots of work to do. Correct. And you, if you actually have a look, you're exactly right. A lot of those people who did work in the mines have come back and you, as much as uh, we go back to the ABS jobs data and some areas where it's hard to go and believe some of the statistics. I remember doing a post, uh, I don't know, Pete went and wrote about this as well. Last year, all of the employment growth, you know, if you just went and netted off the rest of Australia, Victoria created all the job growth. In fact, it was like 120 something percent. So everywhere else in the country it fell. And, uh, there's no coincidence that that also coincided when Melbourne and Victoria in general was the building boom capital. Uh, obviously, Sydney's just gone and taken over that mantle now, but uh, that's where so many of the jobs have been created. 
So tell me, what kind of indicators do you watch closely, right? So because one of the things that's been interesting, that the peak in approvals seems to, we, it looks like it's passed, right? Um, so there may be a slowdown in construction activity, right? So what other, uh, which means there may be uh, some jobs getting shed in the construction sector. Um, so what other indicate, indicators um, uh, are you looking at? Do you follow really closely for um, taking the pulse of the, of the market? Yeah, I mean, I suppose at the ground level, we're, we're property buyers. So we see a lot of what's actually going on weekend to weekend. We obviously follow things like housing finance and lending finance from the ABS very closely, but that data always lacks. Um, so, yeah, you can't beat on the ground observations. Um, but I think for me, if you're looking at downturns, the number one indicator is always building approvals or permits. Um, you know, if the guys at the coalface are saying, we can't make profitable projects work here, that's, I mean, we've got an Irishman in the room. We've seen it from international experience, um, Spain, Ireland, the US, you know, when building, imp building approvals start dropping off a cliff, um, that's an indicator of a coming, it foreshadows a correction. Uh, we've seen it, Brisbane apartments, it started happening around, I guess about Q3 last year. Approvals, we're, we're tracking, with, we're seeing thousands per month in the apartment sector. Um, now you'd be looking at probably four to 700 per month. Um, you know, that foreshadows falling rents, falling prices in inner city Brisbane. I mean, that's one example, but, um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, building approvals a very reliable indicator. I suppose the one caveat is that um, while detached housing approvals are pretty sort of accurate, multi-units are always up and down because big projects can skew the numbers. So you often look at the rolling annual figures for the trend um, just to, to move out some of the noise. So Dave, um, how about yourself? Is there approvals, finance, uh, anything else that you watch closely? No, I like uh, CoreLogic's uh, weekly uh, auction clearance rate as well. It gives you a bit of a feel as to uh, how the various markets are going as well. There's lots of little anecdotal evidence, as you said, is the best beat. I, I think that you know, on the ground you see the behaviours of people and the like uh, really gives you an indication. And, and uh, you know, living in a city, uh, Sydney, where some of the, uh, the price growth in, uh, in recent years has been nothing short of phenomenal. Uh, you've seen... Uh, Euphoria at its best, peak euphoria uh, in some of the other bidding of the auctions I saw. Uh, so it's always a good indication, you know, if people are you know, that raucous in that area and then you know, prices start going up in inner city city and then you see it spreads out to the rest of the, uh, of the city as well and very much the same as you'd see in, uh, in other major cities around the country as well. Because euphoria stuff, um, it feels like it was a long time ago and I think Shane Oliver who's often a guest on, on the show here, is, um, who's the, the um, Chief Economist and Chief Investment Officer at AMP Capital. Uh, and I remember Shane saying to me years ago that the sign of a housing bubble is when um, home renovation shows are all the rage and they're doing huge numbers on the commercial TV stations. There's stories in the papers all the time about um, tiny little houses going for insane um, amounts of money. That feels like it kind of happened a couple of years ago and yet still here we are with 16% house price growth in, in Sydney. Um, it's just astonishing. I just want to pull out something that I crossed my desk this morning. Uh, it's about Harry Trigoboff. Um, and I'm going to read, this is a media release um, <laughs> saying, Australia's high-rise king, developer Harry Trigoboff, 
has reached a new milestone with his property investment portfolio. He has breached the 3,000 apartments mark. <laughs> the 3,066 apartments, all in Sydney and renting fast, have been accumulated over 15 years by Meriton Group. Founder and owner, Mr. Trigoboff. The apartments, estimated to be worth in excess of $3 billion, are in addition to nearly 4,500 service departments owned by Meriton. Um, and he also, it just points out, goes on to point, point out that he also uh, manages over 3,000 apartments for investors, um, putting him in charge of what he believes is the biggest private rent roll in Australia. It's just astonishing, staggering levels of money um, and levels of uh, real estate um, that, that he's sitting on there. Um, so, look, I just wonder, um, Pete, you know, you say about, that's, you know, that's specifically in Sydney, right? What about um, the other markets? So you've got Melbourne, um, a little bit different? Yeah, I think um, Sydney, the construction boom in Sydney has been spread over a wide area. If you look at Melbourne and Brisbane in particular, the concentration risk is higher. So um, if you're looking at Brisbane, I mean, you don't need to look at stats, just take a drive around the Valley, Newstead, West End, South Brisbane, um, tower blocks just coming out of the earth on every corner. Um, those areas, vacancy rates are going through the roof. Um, so, yeah, look, if, I'm not going to comment on Harry specifically, but I think sometimes when you see developers starting to hang on to stock instead of selling it, well, that might be an indication that vales are coming in low. Um, people are struggling to actually make up the shortfall. Um, and I think actually in this cycle, we'll see more of that than we've ever seen before because developers with low interest rates can actually hold on to more apartments. Um, yeah. You wouldn't have seen it in 2007 because the holding cost would be too hard. Um, so it's, it's almost the ultimate in negative gearing when developers start holding on to rental properties. Um, and I saw a stat from CoreLogic this week saying uh, something like 40% or more of unit valuations in some markets coming in under for new construction. Um, Normally, when you see that kind of thing, that's the death knell for the construction boom. So we'll have to see. Um, and Dave, you, you talk a bit about vacancy rates, particularly over uh, where you are, um, around about Green Square in Sydney. Um, you know, the plenty of apartments around there and the lights are never on. Yeah, there is. There's plenty of, uh, plenty of <laughs> lights off, nobody home. No. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah, nothing's really changed. Uh, all the places get built. Uh, there's a whole... Uh, I'm lucky enough to be at the northern end, so I've uh, got nice views of the city and can't be built out, at least that's what the council said, so that's, uh, that's nice, but um, the things further south, uh, they're just uh, getting to the stage now where uh, a big, chunky development in particular is about to go and come online, uh, but I know there was a smaller development uh, across the road for me that was built, uh, there's probably, I think, 18, uh, 18 units in there. Uh, I reckon you're lucky at night time to go and see four lights on. Uh, and having a, having a look across there, when uh, they first did their, uh, their open, there was a few units that were still available. Um, most of the clientele um, were either Australian, Asian, or mainland Chinese. There was, uh, it was definitely a Chinese. Uh, everyone who was there, the agent who was, uh, was talking through, was someone who could speak English and, uh, and Mandarin, so it gave you a fairly good indication of what's going on. And those just sat there. Um, I don't see any tenancy going on or anything like, but that's just 
specifically my little areas. Yeah, because this isn't the only, well, Sydney particularly isn't the only, uh, and Melbourne aren't the only cities that, that have benefited from this. Um, I think um, in can some parts of Canada, um, there's been spectacular uh, growth. Um, so uh, Vancouver, I think particularly, they've had similar sort of levels of house price growth that Sydney's experienced. Um, maybe we'll just look at some of the bright spots. So here's a good question for you, Pete. Um, if you were looking at buying something now, um, what do you think represents a, a wise and smart investment uh, in the Australian property market at the moment? I'll put all my disclaimers in there first before I make <laughs> specific recommendations. Well, I actually have a pre-approval to buy myself, so uh, I guess um, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I won't recommend to uh, every person in Australia what they should do with their money, but uh, I'll be looking at buying in Brisbane, but obviously well away from the, the inner-city apartment market at the moment. I think... Um, uh, Something on a good block of land. I think um, I think the three L's in in Brisbane location, land value, and and lots of development potential. I think those are the things you would look for in Brisbane. Stay away from the flood zones, uh, six oh seven square meter blocks or eight ten square meter blocks, splitters, LMR two zoning, all of that stuff. Um, people say you know Australian property. There's no opportunities. There are if you know what what you're looking for. So. Yeah, right. Um, and I think, you know, there, there certainly are, look, it's not, I don't think it's entirely all doom and gloom. We may have a slow, this may come in on a, on a nice sort of uh, A380 glide path, um, A380 landing glide path uh, as it comes up. But, you know, um, you know, there is the potential for it to unwind very suddenly. I think one of the really interesting things was uh, Barnaby Joyce just before Australia Day with his immaculate uh, timing as usual and his sort of very blunt uh, way of talking about things. He says, you know, if you're complaining about living in the city and you're complaining that you can't afford a house, he's like, I've got a solution for you. I've got an answer. Move to Tamworth. You know, your house prices are half the cost. Um, you know, uh, and you can get in there for, you know, 350 grand and be living on a giant block with, you know, plenty of room for the dogs and maybe the goats if you want to get a few and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, but of course, we Don't have to worry this about the employment though. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. Don't need a job. Well, we could always uh, remote work to your, uh, yeah, this, all of these companies offering flexible work, working arrangements at the moment. I do think there's a social thing, though, that people do want to live in places, you know, like people say you grew up in Sydney, your job's in Sydney, you see yourself over your lifetime. Maybe, you know, you've got close family that you want to be close to, all that kind of stuff. So I think that is a challenge. On a policy level, uh, Pete, what do you think some of the issues are that, you know, what can, what can politicians do, it's either state or federal, so there's the negative gearing question, of course, um, but um, is there anything that can be done in terms of policy intervention to help um, make uh, the property market a little bit more accessible for these people who clearly are struggling uh, to, to get in? Yeah, I think if you start looking from, from the very top down, Reserve Bank clearly are more interested in serviceability than new entrants to the market. I think if you if you read between the lines of their information, that's that's the way they generally look at the market. Of course, they're interested in bubbles and risks, but serviceability is probably the thing they're looking at, which serviceability levels are at historically reasonable levels. But I think for new entrants to the market, um, you probably have to look to, to government intervention and state government. Um, yeah, I mean, first home buyer grants always get a mention. Um, I think what most of the rhetoric at the moment is obviously always talking about new supply. We need new supply. That always seems to be the response at the government level. Um, we, we've got record supply coming online, um, but whether it's uh, family appropriate 
dwellings, that's another factor, another matter entirely. So, um, and there's, the, there's the expectation as well. Um, I think uh, in very large chunks of Australia, there's this expectation that you will live in a house that's probably two to three bedrooms and maybe on a little bit of land. Because, um, like I said, you know, you want to have the dogs and a uh, little space for the for the rugrats to run around in the uh, in the back or whatever. Um, but you know, in very many cities across Europe, all that kind of stuff, the expectations different. People are happy to live in apartments. Um, you know, they they raise families in in apartments, all that kind of thing. Um, uh, is there? Do you see a foresee a time when that expectation might change? Yeah, I think it, it actually probably already is changing in many. I mean, home ownership rates are falling, a lot of people um, happy to rent where they live and try and invest elsewhere, somewhere cheaper. Um, I think at the policy level, I mean, luckily I'm not a politician, but if it was me looking at trying to call the market, you've got to look at tax settings. Um, I mean, th those are for decisions for other people, but the incentives to buy property in Australia are much higher than they are in um, even where I'm from, in, in London, the UK. Um, you know, negative gearing, uh, capital gains tax discount. Um, you know, I suppose um, you know, land tax comes into play for some buyers, but not others. But um, yeah, I think expectations. That's a different question. Um, yeah, but I think yeah, they are already changing. Um, and um, yeah, I think more people will actually rent. I think that's that's probably likely. I have to say, you know, just in terms of, you know, tax settings or introducing new disincentives, um, you know, levers that um, politicians could pull to try and cool, cool the market or maybe, you know, depress growth a little bit, uh, political suicide, like it's just arsenic uh, for, for, um, for a party. Um, I is, mean, what, one thing that irks me, I think stamp duty is one that is definitely, I, I'm much more in favour of a land tax that you pay annually like a set of rates. Um, I think that uh, particularly where property prices are so high that stamp duty now is becoming a hindrance and it's, uh, it's actually limiting turnover of stock, uh, which is really creating some issues. And that's obviously with less stock in the market and demand still remaining firm, that's putting a, a solid bin under prices. Um, I think it's worth pointing out too, because you know, this house price growth that we're seeing in Sydney, there's only a few thousand houses a week uh, that are getting sold. It's not like there's... You know, there's a giant market with lots of properties changing. If I was a state government, I'd love to have a steady stream of income coming through in forms of a land tax each year, rather than uh, relying upon lumpy stamp duty every uh, every you know hoping that people are going to be flipping properties. That's uh, to me, it's a really stupid way of, uh, of thinking about things. But obviously, it's allowed them to go and get back to a surplus, uh, whilst they've done other measures as well as uh, asset recycling and the like. But uh, at some point, if, uh, if housing turnover was to go and sl slow dramatically, or uh, house prices start to fall, then they're going to be in a massive hole as well. That's, that's one area. The second one thing I'm, that irks me is that the rental laws in this country, now they're obviously created by the states, but there needs to be some sort of grounding. If we're going to allow uh, negative gearing and the like to continue, you need to give people certainty who, can, who have to rent. You can't go and say to people, you've got kids, you've got a job, your kids are in this school here, oh, but by the way, six weeks later, you're out. Like, to me, that's utterly ridiculous. I think very good. I think a very good point. And in those cities that I touched on earlier, like you know across Europe, um, you know where people all do live in uh, uh, in apartments that they maybe don't necessarily own. They have very very strong uh, tenancy protection laws uh, and, and a lot of security, which is just simply not the case here. Uh, in Australia. Uh, okay, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, our guest this week has been Pete Wargent from Alan Wargent. Uh, 
Property Advisors. Pete, thanks so much for coming on the show. Fascinating discussion. Pleasure, Paul. Uh, I've been Paul Colgan. Uh, you've been listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. I've been here with David Scott. David, great to uh, be back in this saddle for 2017. Big, ready for a massive 2017. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. You can find us on iTunes where you can rate us and leave us a review. We're on the web at businessinsider.com.au. You can find us on Twitter at B-I-A-U-S. We're all on Twitter uh, individually as well. Uh, the show's been produced by Rick Salter, and we'll catch you next time. Today's episode was delivered by Australia Post. They put everything behind your business, helping you save time and money. And with My Post Business, you can save at least 10% when you send on average five eligible parcels a week. Get more info and see the terms and conditions at auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.